2022 has been a difficult year for cryptocurrencies with the recent news having tarnished crypto's image. Last month, FTX, one of the world's largest exchanges, filed for bankruptcy in the US, leaving many users unable to withdraw their funds. FTX was allowing customers to trade normal fiat money for cryptocurrencies such as Bitcoin. FTX owed its 50 largest creditors, mostly institutional, almost $3.1 billion, according to a court filing last month. The news sent shockwaves through the industry. Since recording this episode a few weeks ago, this week on Monday, FTX founder Sam Bankman-Fried was finally arrested and US authorities have charged him with one of the biggest financial frauds in US history. He has been defrauding lenders, investors and customers, but is also accused of using tens of millions in ill-gotten gains for illegal campaign contributions to Democrats and Republicans alike, according to the BBC. There's still a lot to learn from this, and it will have repercussions on the industry, with necessary increased protection, regulation, and cooperation to regain trust. We decided to still publish this episode, as we're covering Web3 here and the technology, and not actually investing in cryptocurrencies themselves. It helps understand the ecosystem and what happened here. So please, if you have any questions, feel free to reach out. Remember that investing in cryptocurrencies is highly risky and speculative, and we will never invite you to do so. Be careful about scams too. Hello, I'm Emile Bellet, founder of Vespod and author of You're Not Broke, You're Pretty Rich, and you're listening to The Wallet. Every week, we give you the best tips, guidance, and a good dose of inspiration and motivation to manage your money better. Have you heard about what people call the future of the internet, Web3? It's underpinned by blockchain technology and could allow for a more independent, decentralized, and autonomous web. So one where users keep the control and don't rely as much on, on large, centralized ecosystems. It can be difficult to navigate, but I was interested in the technology and the use cases. So today with Marek Flamand, CEO of the NIA Foundation, we're imagining a Vespa DAO, decentralized autonomous organization, and discussing what it could look like. 2022 has been a difficult year for cryptocurrencies, with the recent news having tarnished crypto's image with the fall of the FTX exchange. We discuss what happened in the space and what is the road to recovery after this latest crypto scandal. Say hello to Rewarding Banking. With Chase Bank, you get 1% cash back on your everyday debit card spending for a year, a slick numberless debit card to help keep your details private, and round-the-clock access to the Chase customer support team if you ever need a hand. Download the Chase Banking app to open your free account. You must be over 18 and a UK resident to apply. Cashback exceptions apply. Are you looking to organize your finances in 2023? We're launching a new cohort of our Money Management Bootcamp. It's a six-week course, live and pre-recorded, where I'll share all the essential tools for organizing and tracking your finances, boost your knowledge of investing, and shift your money mindset. We'll focus on building your wealth, learning about to save and invest for the long term, and understanding how money helps you achieve your goals. You can check it out on festpot.com bootcamp and in the show notes. Remember that we are not certified financial advisors. Information shared in this podcast is for educational purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. If we can just talk a little bit about blockchain and, and crypto uh, for those who can be new to the space. I mean, today we're going to cover mostly like the technology rather than, you know, coins and how to invest in crypto. So just defining these two terms. Yeah, please. absolutely. And so, look... 
Blockchain, one way to think about blockchain is it's an additional layer of infrastructure on top of the web. So today you have the web, actually the internet. What's the internet and what does it do? And and with the internet, you can open a web page. You can actually send an email. And so with blockchain, what you can actually do is start thinking, well, you can, you can record transactions basically on, you know, on a, on an additional layer of, of infrastructure. And because you can record those information, you can know for sure where, who they belong to at what point in time. So in essence, the, the blockchain technology is additional infrastructure on the internet that enables to create new business model. And then, what is crypto? Well, actually, to function, most blockchains have their own token, right? They have a token which becomes like the unit of actually economy within the usage of that. And very often, you, it's, it can be referred sometimes as like gas. So it's, you know, if you want to take your car and go on a road, you actually need to put some gas in it. Well, if you want to participate on the blockchain and have your transactions recorded in it, then you actually need to use some of those tokens that belong to that to that blockchain. Um, and so those things are, they work in unison, but they're actually two different things. And, and you mentioned it, but I think it's like quite, quite important for me. There is really a distinction of like, what is blockchain, which is this additional infrastructure on the internet that enables to do new business models. And then there is a whole different area, which is like, what is crypto and how most of actually financial investors will think of like, you know, buying and selling those tokens because they think there is like more or less value in actually, in actually those tokens. And just do things actually, while sometimes can work in unison, are very different. And so the part we focus on uh, in particular here is much more like the tech. What is it that you can do with this tech? And what is it that enables to reinvent in terms of, of business models? Okay. And, and now from the, you know, the, the blockchain and, and, and the crypto how do we then started to talk about you know web 3d this you know new iteration of of the web um that's focusing on you know decentralization how do you link the two and why you know why is web 3 something we should all be looking at yeah great question so honestly i think sometimes in in all of that there's a little bit of you know branding and it, because it's a it's a very fast moving space there is also like what's the latest name and therefore what makes most sense and for example if i look at you know when i first joined it was actually all about bitcoin and then it was like you know people were talking about bitcoin mostly and then bitcoin became this word which is like well it's not really exactly that and then there is the theorem that comes up so then people started saying okay blockchain blockchain is a better more acceptable <laughs> word right and then it became blockchain and then it became like yeah, but it's not just blockchain. There's all those other coins that you can do. So then it became crypto, right? And then crypto became, well, actually, it's not just that. There's this new thing, which is Web3, because Web3 is going to be enabling us to reinvent a lot of, of business models, right? So, you know, it's it's a bit like that, like the industry function. The reality is like all those terms are intertwined. Now, why why Web3 and why the why, why is that term being used? The, the concept is that Web1 was all about that actually we can, you know, we can just push and publish some data. So like some central entities actually push and publish messages on, on the internet and you can read them. Web 2 is when we as individuals were able to start actually publishing and exchanging content, right? So for example, if I, you know, take a picture on my phone and I send it to people and if I record something on YouTube and like that's Web 2, right? Web 2 enabled to do those activities. However, when you do that, 
the world we're in now means that we, we have to go to central entities, give our data, and actually those entities now own our content, our data, and they're a pass-through for doing that. But we have to go to those very large central entities, which are like Google and Facebook and Amazon and, and so on and so forth. And that is not the ethos of what the web was supposed to be. The web was supposed to be like, you own your content, you own your data. And so the idea of Web3 is to say, okay, let's go back to that initial thought process. How can we own our content and our data and so on and so forth? And to your question, why does it matter? Well, I think we're in an interesting time right now with Twitter, right? So you have Elon Musk taking the reign of Twitter and, and basically, you know, having a forcing function mechanism of one person who is basically, you know, deciding a lot of like what a tech platform used by millions of users should be or shouldn't be. And, and you know, I don't know what will happen, but imagine if Twitter doesn't exist tomorrow, then all the content and the efforts and the brand that we've built on that and our reputation on that could be gone and is gone, right? Because like there's been a central entity that has decided that yes, you can be or you can't, or this is shut down, right? And so what Web3 in that case would be doing is saying, well, that's not possible because your content, the content is your content and the data is your data. And if that one platform didn't exist tomorrow, then you could actually take that and have that in another place and in another place and so on and so forth. So that's why it matters because it's just like going back to basics of how can we own really the content of what we do and therefore, um, yeah, and rather than having that owned by central entities. And I think the you know the, we've had a lot of recent conversations about about crypto. So of course we have to you know f forget a little bit today when we think about Web three about you know investing in crypto. That's completely different. But a few weeks ago, the FTX uh, exchange went went down, and you actually commented about it because that impacted, I think, the the whole. Um, industry and, and the environment around, you know, crypto blockchain, especially for like the general public. Um, and you said the spectacular fall of FTX had nothing to do with crypto and everything to do with human failure. Can you talk a little bit about what happened um, and also how will we recover from it? Um, and how can we sort of build better after after this? Yes. So look, it's a, it's actually, a, you know, it's an event that is still... The rippling effect of it and actually what exactly happened is being uncovered day by day, right? So like there is new information that comes out every day. But at the core and the heart, what happened, uh, FTX is a centralized exchange. And what I mean by that is that it actually, it's a, it's a website and an entity on which you go to buy or exchange crypto. It is not, you know, it's not a place where actually if you own crypto, you really own it because it's really yours. You have to rely on a central third party who, by the way, uh, FTX US was regulated. And you have to rely on that central entity to say like, okay, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to send you some money and then you're going to send me something, something back. What, what, uh, what has been happening with that is that there's been a lot of, uh, misuse of funds and mingling of several different entities. So FTX had a sister company, which supposedly was supposed to be independent, which is Alameda, which is a, a crypto, a crypto exchange, like larger, uh, larger exchange and market maker. So provider of larger amount of, of liquidity within the crypto space. And that entity, which should have been completely separate, actually has been using some of the funds of users who were going on the FTX exchange. So it means that if you and I are going on the FTX exchange, we trust that our money is there and that actually it's being used for that. Well, no, it was actually being leveraged by, by another entity that should have nothing to do with it and actually kind of gambled with that money and kind of lost it. So that's what's been, that's what's been happening. 
what I what I said in in the blog post is that the failing of that actually failing that we've unfortunately already seen in you know in banking and in traditional institution and it's failing of you know it's it's um it's human deception and it's like you know misuse and misleading it's it's bad governance it's like those are those are failings of again you know us as humans basically not not doing the right thing and and what i what i was saying is like if you believe in a world where actually code becomes um law in a way then those things could not happen because there is no way actually that code unless it's like really bad code that wants to do bad things but code would uh, for example for for decentralized exchanges which are replicating what FTX would be doing, but in a totally decentralized way. So you don't need to rely on, on someone who might be doing something or not. With on a decentralized exchange, everything is on chain, right? So so whatever you do is actually there and the code is going to say what it does. So there is no human who's going to say, oh, maybe let me pause on that trade yeah. and I don't want that trade, right? So that's why for when we believe really in like Web3 and decentralization and this ethos of removing those third parties that ultimately have too much power and then end up doing bad stuff, that's that's what it uh, that's what it matters. The effects of FTX, as you said, are gonna be are gonna be unfortunately I think very big. One reputation, because you know, yeah. in, in the in the in the mainstream media and also FTX was a prominent mainstream brand. So so the association of that and the damage that has been done, unfortunately, it's going to have ripple effect on the entire space. Even that's also what I wrote, like we will pay the price even if we didn't pay the game, right? Because that the, the association in people's head is going to be there. And then the second part is, you know, it, it the regulation will probably step in and 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 want to have very quick and fast and actions. And I'm not sure this is the answer. Actually, the best regulation would probably be to use blockchain a lot, to force everything to be transparent and that everybody can actually look at whatever is happening anywhere, right? Um, so those are some of the rippling effects. But again, it's a domino impact. So right now, you know, it's FTX. There is other talks about other players that are probably going to be impacted by by all of that. So all of us are basically... You know, holding our breaths and seeing what's you know what's coming next and and what's gonna happen. Yeah. So what what would you say to people who maybe have invested, have you know lost money, maybe lost faith in uh, in in crypto, but who still need to keep up with sort of you know the technological advancement and and thinking about blockchain and and the different use um, of yeah of of the technology. Yeah. So the first part, I would say, actually, you know. I'm, I'm, you know, I feel like so sorry for those people who lost that because actually it's like it's, it's, you know, misleading what has been happening. And I think, you know, a lot of people have said, well, it's people should have done their own research and so on. But actually, I think that's actually, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's lazy to say that. And it's also lame. And, and, you know, um, so I, I don't actually buy that. What I would say for the future though, and that's what I've always been a proponent of is, to me, what matters at the end of the day is real use cases. And so no matter what we do and what we say, you know, technology, even if everybody says it's like, oh, it's a really great innovation, it is as long as it proves that it does something, right? And so that's why at NIR, for example, we're extremely focused on like those use cases. Can it really do something that, you know, and ultimately at the end of the day, we shouldn't have to talk about crypto because it's like the internet. Yeah, we're not saying, "Hey, we need an HTTP page to open." <laughs> no, you just want to go on Google and you open it, and it works, right? So it's really that, and I'm actually hopeful for. We are now entering what's a bear market in crypto, definitely, and I'm really, you know, hopeful that actually, so a lot of things are going to be washed out, 
But a lot of actually really good things should be built in that time. And it's about really building fundamental new different use cases. So for example, on social media, you know, I mentioned the example of Twitter. There are new platforms that are starting. We have a project called uh, Near.Social. At the moment, it's very much for developers, but it is it it feels like the reinvention of social media. And I can so I can see it happen, right? And then we have, for example, the work we've been doing with CellGP, where a DAO, which is a decentralized autonomous organization, is actually buying a sports team. For the first time, you know, in history, you have that. And then we had yesterday, uh, for the first time, uh, a music that is uh, nominated for a Grammy uh, for a Grammy Awards, and that's an NFT that is on near. So those things are like, you know, that's the real use case. And then, you know, it's just music. And then it doesn't matter that, but, but so I think I'm really keen for that. And so my advice would actually be to believe in that more as a technology and therefore not as like just, you know, this crypto asset. And the last point I would make on that, the entire industry has been very focused on like, you know, the price of the token and the total value locked, which is TVL. That's the, those are the two metrics that have been used. And I actually think those metrics are fundamentally wrong. What matters is actually number of active users and engagement of these users, which is if you were looking at, you know, what's the what's the valuation of a Facebook or a Google, you look at that, right? You look at, you know, how many users, what are they doing? And are these users actually doing something that's generating revenue? And, I, you know, crypto for some weird reason was like a totally different, <laughs> totally, which are gameable, right? So my advice would be the technology still has a lot of value. Check those use cases. And actually, here's a good radar. I use that all the time. Can I use it? Can Is it usable? Because if it's not, and does it solve a problem? Because if it doesn't, <laughs> then it's not going to get anywhere. So it needs to be usable. It needs to solve a problem. And then that those metrics that we look at needs to be much more attuned to what is looked at in tech versus actually, you know, different things. And I love talking about this, uh, these use cases because I think, you know, it makes it a lot more relatable. And if you, even if you're not in the space, then you can, you know, start looking at it. I mean, and, and lots of businesses, I guess, will start looking into, into Web3 and, and integrate Web3. Um, and I thought we could just take a practical and, and like funny example of looking at a Vespa DAO and, and see, you know, how, how would it look like? You know, we're running this like huge community. We're doing, um, we're basically educating people about their personal finances. They want to get involved. They want to be part of the community. So how could we build something with Web3? Yeah, amazing question. I love it. <laughs> so imagine a, Vesp a Vespa DAO actually would be, so one, a place where uh, as a community, you can make decisions and vote, right? Because ultimately, what is a DAO? A DAO is like, it's a, it's a multi-sig wallet with a way for people to actually make decisions together and vote on yes or no with, with, uh, with, with maybe sometimes a certain amount of money or sometimes it's more about governance. So concretely, what it could look like, it could be, well, uh, okay, what's the next theme of the next event that we want? Then within that DAO, actually, you could have voting, you know, voting rights and people saying like, we want this and we want that. Then imagine another thing. We, you could also say, well, the DAO is a collective of amazing people who are creating events and those events generate revenue. And so that entire pool of revenue is going to come into the DAO, which is owned by the entire community. And then as a community, you decide where you want to redistribute that. Do you want, for example, to take like, uh, you know, a part of that amount of money to, I don't know, launch the next book or a part of that amount of money to do the next podcast or the part of that amount of money to do an even bigger, better event, right? So that's what it could, it could become. And the way to think about it is like, it's, um, 
It's really this, you know, multi-sig wallet with a way to communicate and make proposals and then vote on proposals in a way that is transparent. So you include everybody, right? Now, good DAOs, what we've learned over the last couple of, of years and well, mo more months, but in crypto, everything feels like, you know, 10x. <laughs> but what we've learned over the last couple of months is that usually it's very helpful in, even in DAOs to have some sort of structure. So you could imagine for a Vespa DAO to have like a core team, which is day in, day out, like managing the DAO, right? So making sure that people are putting the proposals, that, you know, people are voting on this proposal, maybe managing also like the treasury and saying like, you know, those are the things that we are having. And then the, the other part of the DAO would be more the, the, the broader community members. Some of them might be very active and some of them might just be there for, you know, just looking and listening and, and, and participating more or less uh, passively. So, in, yeah, in a way, it's, it's a, it's a way to organize your community to have transparency on, on vote and sharing ideas and ultimately better disbursement of, of funds, right? So that people can actually participate on that. It's really fun to, to explore some new ways of working with, especially with communities for maybe content creators, for, you know, companies who want to do it differently. We, we often talking at Vespot about the, sort of the circularity of capital, where does the money come from? Like, who do you raise money from? And then who actually benefits from the growth of your of your company? How can you redistribute your, your profits? And that's something, you, you know, in the stock market, you would potentially, you know, do that. You would have this like shareholder democracy and stuff. But what about like smaller, smaller companies? So I think it's it's great. I think one of the barriers is maybe adoption of, of, of Web3 and, and like general understanding of, you know, how would people enter these, these DAOs and, and sort of embrace the technologies? Where where do you see the adoption at, at the moment and when will it become a little bit more mainstream? Yeah, great question. So the, the key point, and you hit the nail on the head, is usability, right? So it, and so, and I'm going to preach for our own, uh, our own core here, but like <laughs> we have we have a tool called Astro DAO. And in like, you know, five clicks, you can set up a DAO and you can start playing on it. Uh, and it, it, It feels seamless. And so that's the key, right? It needs to feel absolutely seamless. In a way, it needs to feel like a Facebook experience where you go on there and you don't have to think about like, oh, where is my, where are my keys and my crypto and like so on? Because that, that's like a, a total turnoff. So in, in essence, there's been a ton of progress on what's called like DAO tooling, right? So what are the toolkit around a DAO to make it super easy to set up? super easy to engage with and therefore like seamless to participate in without having to know, I think that's sort of key, without having to know that it's actually ultimately on crypto, right? That's, um, so yeah, so I, I think, you know, have a have a look at AstroDAO. Astro, like what we've tried to do with it is like, it's a very simple way to interact. So it might not do, you know, for maybe for Vespod, you would want, oh yeah, I want that functionality, but not like this. Then then obviously the beauty of Web3 is that you can you can code and develop on it and make it your own, right? Uh, but it's a good it's a good Kickstarter actually to have a look at uh, and figure out you know what it would take to do that. We did um, when the war hit in Ukraine actually we created a DAO called Unchained DAO and and the beauty of it was like in 48 hours you know tens of millions of dollars could be raised and then proposals could come from actually all places and this proposal could the funds could be disbursed to actually do that like extremely fast. So it it it's been a way to reinvent NGOs right like to say okay how can you actually deploy that. And then we have this DAO example with CellGP, which is, okay, fans want to participate in, in owning a team. What does it look like, right? How do you actually figure out, you know, 
who's the coach and what's the color of the boat and what are maybe the sponsors that are sponsoring that team and how do we distribute that capital? So that's another example that, that is also, you know, super interesting to look at. Um, yeah, I know in, um, there's also some really, uh, cool, I'm forgetting the name now, but, uh, when, uh, laws of changing abortion rights in the U.S., uh, happen, there is this amazing group of women who actually put together a DAO to say, well, let's raise funds to actually raise awareness of what's going on. And you have, and then it creates this community of people who are like unified by something that they believe in. They can sometimes fundraise, they can allocate, they can actually debate, and then they can vote on, on things. So there is, you know, more and more of those very concrete groups that participate and work together and, and then are able to take action, basically, and do some pretty amazing things. That's amazing. Um, I think it's fascinating. One question I will get from this episode that's maybe, you know, the, the criticism often on, you know, energy consumption around around blockchain. Uh, but the good point here is NIR is a certified carbon neutral blockchain. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So look, in in the in blockchain, it's been criticized a lot, the fact that a lot of energy consumption needs to happen. And it's true, actually, for example, for Bitcoin, because Bitcoin is on what is called actually a proof of work mechanism. So what it concretely means is that for every new transaction that happens on the Bitcoin blockchain, all the participants need to actually upgrade and have that transaction listed. And so if you think of that, like the number of nodes and participants in the ecosystem is actually very large. And so it means like all those machines need to constantly turn. And and actually for this chain to be secured, there is mathematical more problems to be solved, which become over time more and more complex. So the consumption of energy is like it's constant, right? So basically to keep the Bitcoin blockchain alive, uh, it's a lot of it's a lot of energy. On the other hand, the way to think about energy is that energy is the mechanism that secures the chain, right? So it means that actually there's a price for securing that chain, right? So that's the balance of thinking about that. Near is on a different uh, mechanism, so it's called proof of stake. And so rather than needing to have like you know all machines all the time crunching things, it basically depends on a node like what we call validators. So we we have within the network validators that because they are trusted uh, elements within the network and they have enough stake to be participants in that network, then they can actually uh, lock and secure the network. And because it's randomized, who does what? At what time? You don't need to have every participant at every minute all the time that is actually you know keeping energy up. So what it concretely means is that uh, Near is consuming, I think it's 300,000 less energy than Bitcoin, something like it, you know, it makes it... You go, you, yeah, it's, it's like, it's a, it's, it's a, like the amount of energy consumption is totally, totally different. So that has enabled us from the start to be carbon neutral. And every year we do an audit with, uh, a Swiss registered entity, uh, which is called, uh, North Pole, which helps audit, you know, the carbon footprint of the, and here's the irony of it. Actually, our technology consumes like nothing. Like it's, it's absolutely tiny amount. What is the biggest consumption is actually humans and it's us going to conferences and it's actually us and our movements. And, and that is in our, in our network, that's the big consumption. And so when we do a conference, we carbon offset and it's painful. <laughs> because it, but then you realize that actually it's, it's, I think it's a really good dynamic to have to think about that. Right? Because now for next year, we're thinking, okay, rather than flying everybody into one location, what if we shard our conference and we have like, you know, nodes that are actually more local so that there is less travel because that's also what this whole thing is making us realize that at the end of the pro at the end of the thing we are the problem <laughs> not the not the protocol itself and, and not the machine on which it runs 
And again, that goes with, you know, decentralization and, and you know, how do you, you know, the people get together without all coming to, you know, these, these big places. Um, and just, you know, finally, I'd love to ask you, you know, what, what, what does money mean to you also in the view of your, you know, your career, you worked in, you know, you worked in crypto, you worked for, you know, Expedia in consulting, um, you were the CEO of Metal, so you worked in banking, you know, why also shift to like a, to a non-profit organization? Yeah, great question. So I think first what money means to me and so I, I, you know, I'm, I'm French, raised by a feminist mom. <laughs> but that says, you know, I've also been, I, I've been uh, taught from a very early age that uh, money is, financial independence is independence. And so to me, actually working and achieving that uh, independence is extremely, it's extremely important, right? Um, my husband is himself also an entrepreneur, like my number one supporter in everything I do. But, but I also feel like I have, you know, my own path and my own charter and I don't depend, I don't depend on someone, which has been like probably a lot of, a, a big part of, of the ethos and everything it plays, uh, for me. Um, and so the way, but the way I think about money actually is pretty very traditional in a weird sense, right? Because I've worked at all those startups and, and I work in crypto, but, I don't, I don't trade. I don't believe in actually uh, crypto and crypto exchanges. That's not what I'm in for. Uh, I'm in for actually technology and building long-term lasting value. That's what's always been my motivation. And so, uh, for example, you know, when I was at Expedia, my focus was on the region I was looking after. How can I actually grow that region and make it more sustainable and make it actually a better business, right? And and so I achieved that growth, like re reorganizing and rethinking the region. When I joined Circle, which were, you know, some people might say stupid, but, you know, I didn't invest in crypto because of what I, what I was fully investing in and I'm still, <laughs> I'm still part of is like, it's the Circle company and therefore like the technology and, and what that can do. Uh, and I think, you know, it's a company that's done like amazing things and will continue doing amazing things. So I'm like, I'm a believer in that, not like in, again, uh, tokens. When I worked at Metal, for me, it was also like how to create, you know, a new bank within a bank that can be sustainable. And Metal has recently gone into a joint venture and been acquired by Warburg Pincus. So that's also like assuring it's like its longevity, right? So, and I'm super proud of that and, you know, wherever that will go. And now at NIR, working for a not-for-profit for is actually, it's a shift. So there's a couple of things that have been a shift in mindset is um, because it's a decentralized ecosystem, there is no top down, number one. Number two, actually, a not-for-profit is like the, the whole goal of what I do is to serve the ecosystem. And I have to say like that that notion of serving is is amazing. It's the first time in my career that I find this like pass of you can say, well, your entire purpose and dedication is for that ecosystem, right? Which is really hard, right? Because the ecosystem, you know, places of the ecosystem might be happy, other might not be happy. And like, how do you actually, you know, constantly manage that? But it gives a very strong, you know, sense of purpose for like, that's why we exist. And therefore, that's why that's why I exist. And being a not for profit uh, is also like a shift in mindset in terms of like, how do you think it's not about making revenue is about creating sustainability again in the growth of the ecosystem and, and enabling others to become successful. And I think also that's, that's something that I find amazing is like, as we, you know, as a foundation, we have a very large part of the of the treasury of the near ecosystem. But our role becomes 
How do we empower others to do amazing thing with that treasury? And and again, that's a shift in mindsets, right? So um, I have to say so far, I find it uh, absolutely amazing. It's every day pushing the limits of, you know, how we think about organization and how do we actually, uh, how do I even think about like leadership or management or, or any of that? Um, but yeah, it's a fascinating thing. But yeah, I think back to your point, I think as women, we often think that, you know, money is something that we should not, you know, we're ashamed of thinking about or we should not necessarily talk about. I actually think it's it's really important for our independence and it's it's there is no shame in wanting to have, you know, a career and be successful <laughs> and have and have all that and at the same time have a family and all of it. <laughs> so yeah, it's a very important piece of uh, of how we can uh yeah, self-sustain our, ourselves and then others. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of The Wallet. Please share this show with your friends and subscribe on your favorite platform. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It only takes a few seconds, but it helps more people find our show. Join us again next Thursday for another episode of The Wallet. I will be interviewing Moira O'Neill and we'll be talking about should I overpay my mortgage or invest in the stock market? <laughs>